Go ahead tonight and take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 tonight. We're going to kind of, uh, we're not going to read this chapter all at once. We're going to kind of work our way through it little by little as we go. It's a, it's a longer chapter. We, I, I don't know we'll read the whole chapter. But I want to uh, point out some things in this chapter. And really what I want to talk about tonight is the oldest heresy. Or you can maybe say the original heresy if you want to. The word heresy gets thrown around a lot these days. You know, the word heresy or heretic, uh, it's something that people like to use. Uh, usually if you're losing a theological argument, a good go-to is call the other person a heretic. You know, or that's heresy. You know, that's usually what people say if they can't, you know, uh, defend themselves. It, go to go to name calling. All right, it's, it's worked for years. It worked when we were in kindergarten, and it still works when we're adults. Right, <laughs> but anyway, uh, no, that that does it gets thrown around a lot, probably a little too much. But uh, the definition of the word heresy before we get into the scripture, it's a a fundamental error in religion or an error of opinion respecting some fundamental doctrine of religion. But in countries where there is an established church. An opinion is deemed heresy when it differs from that of the church. The Scriptures being the standard of faith, any opinion that is repugnant to its doctrines is heresy. But as men differ in the interpretation of the Scripture, an opinion deemed heretical by one body of Christians may be deemed orthodox by another. So right here, you know, that's from the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. It doesn't really give you a clear definition of what it is. You know, what actually qualifies. And, you know... One way you could define heresy is anything that disagrees with what I teach, right? You know, and that's how we usually define it. But, and we're not going to really try to spend a whole lot of time, you know, defining heresy from the scriptures. But heresy clearly is, it's false teaching, alright? Something that contradicts, I mean, clearly goes against what the Bible teaches. And also when it talk, Bible talks about heresy or heretic, it's one who causes division, okay? And so if you are causing division with false doctrine, you know, you're a heretic, okay? That's heresy. Okay, but what if you are a part of a church that teaches false doctrine and you cause division with right doctrine, you know? It, you know and it, but at the same time, doesn't it usually seem to be opinion on what's heresy and what's not heresy? And so, we're, so we're not going to spend a lot of time trying to define what's heresy and what's not heresy. But what I want to look at tonight is I, what I would think is, what I would say is the oldest heresy. Okay, and so just kind of an overview of the book of Acts and just some background going here. When you read the book of Acts, of course, it starts right after the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. And we, you know, you start reading and you go into the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit shows up and people start getting saved by the multitudes. I mean, the church is on fire. It is growing greatly. And then as you get in there reading, you see persecution comes. Right? I mean, the Jews, they get jealous about all this. They've been, they've been provoked to jealousy and some of them turn to God. Others, what do they do? They persecuted the church. And as they persecuted the church, what did it do? It just caused the church to grow. It caused the church to thrive. It also caused them to spread out. And you know, many people, they get this idea that, you know, I heard a lot of this last week where the gospel going to the Gentiles was plan B for God. That's absolutely stupid, all right, and unbiblical. That's heresy. No, I mean it's, it's just it's stupid, all right. Because first of all, when the Bible talks about that, I believe it was in Romans 11, when it talks about you know because they rejected, you know the gospel went to the Gentiles. 
It's not saying that God decided to go to the Gentiles because they rejected, but no, their rejection, the Jews' rejection and the persecution is what caused the gospel to spread. Okay? And so that's why the gospel got to the Gentiles. The Jews, you know, the original Christians were content to stay in Jerusalem. But it ended up being of God that they got persecuted, causing them to spread out. And as a result of that, the gospel it went all over the whole world. And thank God for that. It, it was a good thing. But um, as you know, as, so you see the church is just growing. Things are great. And I'm sure if you went through the book of Acts, you can find somewhere where you know, there was some kind of false teaching, something, uh, some lie somewhere. But the first example that I see of major heresy trying to come into the church. I mean, you could say an organized effort or you can even say, you know, the first time, you know, there was, uh, op, you know, about to be a big major split amongst Christianity. I believe we see in Acts chapter 15. And it's interesting when you see what it's about. Because the truth is, we're still fighting about the same thing today. And you know what? We're going to be fighting about it until Jesus comes back. But let's go ahead and start reading Acts chapter 15. And we'll take a look at the oldest heresy, I believe. And it says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no, no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the, con the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received in the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. So right here, the first thing that we see there in verse 1, the first heresy that I think tried making it into the church, and that was adding works to salvation. I mean, right there, you've got some Jews that come along, that they did, they wanted to hang on to some of those old customs. And I honestly believe that some of these people were well-meaning. And, I, and Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I don't think that these were necessarily all of them. I, some of them probably were wolves in sheep's clothing. But I think some of these people probably had good intentions, but you know what? They were dead wrong. And I'm going to show you too that I, uh, why I think some of them were probably people with good intentions, but we do, we see they're saying, unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. That's clearly adding works to salvation. Now you and I, by now, hopefully we know full well that that's ridiculous. If anybody came along here and they tried preaching something like that, we'd say that's heresy. Uh, that is clearly heresy. We know that, but you understand right here when this happened, this is new stuff for them. All right. This is, this is, this is new an organized effort to bring in a false doctrine and heresy. And so, you know, and really what I think is interesting about this is that it's, isn't it basically the same thing that Cain believed? Working for salvation? I mean, Cain brought the fruit of the ground. This working for salvation is nothing new. It is old. It is as old as mankind. And we see that it is one of the first things in the New Testament church that tried coming in as people tried bringing in this teaching that you have to do works in order to be saved. And so look at verse five. It says, and being brought or, um, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. 
And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So right here, when we, when we get to this passage, the question that comes up many times is, you know, these people that are trying to add works to salvation, are they saved? And we fight about that same thing today when you have preachers that are up there, you know, adding works to salvation. You wonder if they're saved, don't you? Now, here's the question. Were these, was this sect of the Pharisees saved? Because when you read that verse, it says, you know, it says a certain sect of the Pharisees which believed. Okay? Is that calling them believers? Well, if they were believers, then they were saved, weren't they? But yet, look at what they were trying to bring in. Look what they were trying to teach. I read some commentaries on that passage that it says, no, it didn't mean they believed like on the Lord Jesus Christ, but it says they believed that it was needful to circumcise. And you know what? This is, this is the way I interpret this verse. Either way you spin it, it's not real clear. You know why? Because people who add works to salvation, you're always going to wonder if those people are saved. However they spin it, however they try to do it, people who add, try to add some kind of work to salvation, people who say, you know, you've got to quit doing this, quit doing that. You have to start doing this, start doing that. You have to get baptized. You know, you have to start going to church. You have to be good. You have to, you have to quit sinning. You have to turn from your sin. You have to be really, really sorry for your sin. You'll wonder about those people, don't you? And so, you know, either, either way of one interpret, I think these people did believe. I think they were saved. But even if you spin it the other way and say, well, no, it says that they believe that. Well, either way, when you do, when you start adding works to salvation, just don't be surprised when people question yours. Okay? Because we know that salvation is not of works. And anybody, I don't care if they say, I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven, but then they preach a gospel that involves works, I'm going to doubt if they're saved. And so, you know, you're just going to have to, people are going to have to get over that. So, uh, you know, the fact, and but I do, I believe they were saved simply because of the fact, too, that everyone had to consider this thing. And there was an argument. They did. You know, you and I, if somebody came along and taught that, by now, with all the Scriptures we have, we wouldn't listen to that for one second. You know, we'd throw them out of here so fast it wouldn't even be funny. But back then, they didn't have the completed Scriptures like we do. This was new. This was a new thing that was being brought into the church. And it was confusing for them. And so there was. There was, there was an argument. There's some back and forth that's going on. And so... Uh, Look, go over and turn over to Titus chapter 3 and verse 10. So, you know, maybe some of these people that are, you know, maybe some of these people were lost. I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell when people are adding works to salvation. Titus 3.10 says, A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. You see, here's the thing. When you look at that passage, and when we, we're going to read the rest of it, after they had this discussion among them, it looks like pretty much everybody came together and agreed that, you know what? You don't need works. Okay? And listen, you don't want to be too quick to throw somebody into hell because of false teaching. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to, you know, correct them. And a man, after the first and second, a heretic, somebody who brings in false doctrine, you do. You, you confront them. You give that first and that second admonition. And if they still won't come around, then you reject that person. But if you, you're going to hear preachers sometimes 
they're going to get up and they're going to preach something that's false. Well, what makes them a heretic or not? Well, if they get corrected, do they fix their position? Will they, you know, recant on what they said? If they're a godly part, listen, you can be as godly as all get out. You're going to still make mistakes, aren't you? But listen, when people get confronted after teaching false doctrine and they just double down and double down and they're getting confronted, you're trying to correct them, you're showing them scriptures, that person is a heretic according to the Bible and you're supposed to reject that person. And before I ever throw anybody under the bus, I want to at least confront them face to face. I want to at least give them a chance. Hey, what do you have to say for this? And if they're not willing to, if they're not willing to change, if they're not willing to get right, then I'm going to reject that person. I'm not going to have anything to do with them. But just understand, I think we see in this passage here there where there's a lot of good, well-meaning people. And you and I, we look at this passage like, why was this even an argument? Well, it was. This was a new thing that had come in. Sometimes people can get caught up in things. But the question on whether that person is a heretic and should be rejected is determined after you've admonished them a couple times. And if they change, that's good. If they don't change, you just might have to say, see you later, get out of here. Uh, we're not going to be able to fellowship together. But they did. There was, there was conflict. And so look at verse 8. It says, And God which knoweth, uh, God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Okay? Right here, he's talking specifically purifying us and them, Jews and Gentiles. Okay? He's showing right here, God put no difference between Jews and Gentiles. Alright? Now, you all get this. Okay? Because here's, here's the problem, and we're seeing the same thing today. When you have the bad thing about false doctrine, even if it's something somewhat innocent, the problem is if you don't get that right, if you don't correct it, it usually leads to another false doctrine. And we're seeing that right now with a lot of the false teaching that's been going on for years when it comes to th- you know end times. Most of it was pretty innocent. And you, you could say, you know, uh, it's not that big of a deal. But here's the thing. Look at what it's led to. All right. First off, you know, all right, you got people, I don't want to be here for any of the tribulation. All right, let's spin it this way in the Bible. But then people ask them, what about all those saints that are being persecuted by the Antichrist? Oh, well, those are Jews. Jews? Jews? How, how can they be the saints? They don't believe in Christ. Well, no, they're still the chosen people. They're still God's people. We got to, and we got to support Israel. And you, know, and, you, and you see how it gets going. And then now, I mean, it's gotten so bad because this is being challenged. I mean, churches are getting shook up. They're getting reminded that, hey, you're wrong on this stuff. And guys are just trying to double down and they're getting crazier and crazier with their teaching to where they're teaching things like, you know, Jesus isn't our Messiah. You know, He's a Messiah for the Jews, not the Gentiles. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. There is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. And, well, you don't, and you don't see that in the Old Testament. And that's where people get confused. That wasn't revealed to the New Testament. But there, there is no difference. God put no difference between us and them. And then, you know, they're going even farther and, you know, we got to... We're all so supportive of the Jews. We got to start making excuses for them killing Jesus. So what do we do? You know, we teach everybody. You know, it's a good thing that they rejected Jesus because if they hadn't rejected Jesus, the gospel wouldn't have went to us. Well, that's ridiculous. That is not. That's completely not true. And you know, and then now they're even teaching things that you know, 
Jesus wasn't even supposed to be called Jesus. Jehovah saves. That's for Gentiles. You know, Emmanuel is what he was supposed to be called, but you know, it's a good thing he didn't get called Emmanuel. Otherwise, that would have fulfilled prophecy and it would have never, I mean, just, he'd have never gone to the Gentiles. I mean, it's getting ridiculous. And I'm still trying to figure out what, what does a person have to say before they get thrown out of a pulpit and get thrown out of fundamentalism? I mean, I, it's getting so bad. The things that are being taught in Baptist churches and everybody just, you know, sits there with a dumb look in their face. Amen. You know, saying amen to stuff. I mean, I, just last week, I've, I don't even want to go into what I was hearing. It was so bad, but I remember this preacher, he was up there and it was just absolutely ridiculous what he was saying. I mean, it, it was laughable. And I'm sitting there and I'm just, I'm trying not to, I have mixed emotions. I want to laugh, but I'm too angry, you know, because it was so stupid and I'm angry. And then when I almost just lost it is when I look and I see preachers Wow, eating it up like it was just great stuff. And I'm just like, are you serious? Are, are we that far gone? Is it that bad? I mean, I could never get away with anything like that. But man, these big names do. And it's just, it's ridiculous. And I'm telling you right now, I, I, I can't be the one to experiment on this. Because, you know, I'm small potatoes. You know, they can take me down uh, or throw me out and you know, of no consequence. But I'm telling you, some of these big names... You know, I sometimes think they're testing, trying to see what they can get away with. It's like there's, there's no way they believe this stuff. They're messing with us trying to see, you know, how far can I go before I actually get thrown out? And it's about, I don't know how you can go any farther than what these guys are going. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And it would be funny if it wasn't so sad. And I'm telling you, you know, when you are wrong in a doctrine, it will, all, it will end up leading you into other false doctrines. I mean, one I heard is, you know, people, they're so confused, they're so messed up in end times that, you know, I don't want to go into everything about it. I don't want to preach another sermon on it. But people, most preachers today, they have no idea what the dead in Christ rise first means. Dead in Christ rise first. I think it's real simple. Old Testament taught that there was going to be a resurrection of the dead. Some were going to you know, there was going to be uh, in Daniel chapter 12, you know, it talks about, you know, the they that are wise will shine as a firmament. Maybe that's in John. I can't remember. But it's clearly a resurrection of the dead. The good and the bad. And it, when you look in the Old Testament, it looks like it's all the same resurrection. But when you get to the New Testament, it's very clear that the dead in Christ rise first and first, well, before what? Well, before the other dead, the rest of the dead. We see in Revelation, the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So the resurrection of the saved and of the unsaved are considered the same resurrection, but the dead in Christ rise first. And the rest of the dead don't rise till a thousand years later. I think it's real simple. But because people can't admit that Daniel chapter 12 is talking about the rapture, they've, it's let, you know, they can't figure out how simple that is. And so, one teaching, brand new teaching I never heard in my life, is that the dead in Christ rising first means that what's probably going to happen, not for sure, but what's probably going to happen is before the rapture comes, 
all the dead saints are going to rise from the dead and they are going to walk around this earth in their glorified bodies for it's either going to be one day, one week, or 40 days before the rapture. And I'm like, what? You know? And he's up there and he's explaining all this. And he's like, and you think, you think about it. That would be the greatest act of mercy God could do before the rapture. Because what do you think those people are going to be doing? They're going to be going and telling everybody, hey, he's coming. Get ready. You know, Jesus Christ is about to return. And you know, what would you do if one of your dead relatives came to you and told you you needed to get saved? And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you do nothing. Because the Bible says, you know, the rich man, what did he do? He said, send Lazarus. He said, they'll believe if one rose from the dead. And Moses said, they have Moses and the prophets. If they won't hear them, they won't believe even if one rose from the dead. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, they wouldn't believe. They wouldn't. The Bible says they wouldn't believe if one rose from the dead. And then he brought up that scripture. I know the Bible says that, but don't you think there's going to be some that would get... And I'm like, no, the Bible says they wouldn't. I mean, it just, you know, you know it's what people can get away with. I mean, I'm t- I would get thrown out a window so fast if I preached something like that. But I'm telling you, it's, a, it's amazing what these people are preaching and what they can get away with. And you see that, you know what? Here's, here, and here's the thing, too. This is a great thing about being small potatoes like myself. You know, if I preach that, I guarantee you, somebody in this church is going to be like, Pastor Tommy, um, that was stupid. All right. You know, I, you know, somebody's going to tell me that. All right. If you all are too scared to do it, if I'm preaching around other preachers, there's plenty of preachers out there that would tell me I'm an idiot if I'm doing that. But when you're on top of the food chain, everybody's afraid to say anything. And so at, this, you know, at the same time, some of these guys, maybe they're not heretics. Maybe they're just absolute idiots. And, you know, nobody's ever confronted them with anything. Nobody's ever challenged them on anything. And so they do. They just go on their merry way and they get wrong on one doctrine and then they just go off the wall crazy on all these other doctrines. I mean, it is, it's nuts. And, you know, I mean, I hesitate to even mention what was taught because I don't have the proof. I don't know if the video is going to get released on that because I don't think they want people to see it. I know I wouldn't want it to be seen if it was preached in my church, but I'm telling you, it was said. It was there. It was mentioned twice. Alright? But it was just, I mean, just absolutely ridiculous. And so listen, when people are wrong, okay, we're not just going to throw them under the bus, but we are going to confront them. Okay? We are going, you know, we're going to, we're going to rebuke them. We're going to give them a chance to repent. You can give them a couple chances to repent, but after that, you just have, you have to reject them. And you say that's not a big deal. But here, one false doctrine usually ends up leading to another false doctrine. When you tell one lie, what do you usually end up having to do? You've got to tell another lie to cover for the one that you told. And before you know it, you're just tangled up in this web of lies. And before you know it, you're preaching. You're adding works to salvation, the original heresy. I mean, you're preaching Jesus wasn't supposed to be called Jesus. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. And I'm, I'm telling you, we, that's why we've got to be careful. And that's why we need to hold each other accountable for these things. And... You know, when people are wrong about works and salvation, and there's a lot of people wrong on this, a lot of people trying to find a way to add works to salvation. You know, most of these people are usually wrong on Israel too. It's just interesting because what were they doing? 
what were the Jews doing? They were they're, they're trying to still keep two separate groups, aren't they? You know, and, they, and then what they were doing is they're trying to make the Gentiles like them. And what's interesting too, we don't have time to go all, I mean, all over Paul's writings. You mean there are, I mean, I believe this event here in Acts chapter 15 inspired a lot of what Paul taught in his epistles. Paul dealt with a lot of these things at length. We're going to just mostly stay in Acts chapter 15 tonight. But when you do, when you start dividing things up racially with people, it's going to mess up a lot of your doctrine. And that's the same problem we're having with the dispensationalism stuff. You know, it's the Jew, the Gentile, the church of God. You know, where are you at? What's it for? Listen, God has put no difference in between us. And when you do, when you, when you get those things wrong, you're going to, it's just going to lead you into deeper and darker heresies. So look at verse 10. It says, now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Once again, showing, hey, same as us, folks. This is the same as us. And I love what he says here. Okay, but it says, right, he said, why tempt ye God to put a yoke on their neck uh, that we, our fathers couldn't do it and we, we weren't able to do it? Did anybody ever keep the law? No one ever kept the law. But yet, here they have these Pharisees that come along that had gotten saved and somehow thought that they were keeping the law. I'm going to question the salvation of somebody who thinks they can keep the law. I mean, what, what is wrong with you? We ought to know better as Christians. We ought to know enough about the Bible to know that we are sinners, that we can't keep the law. We are, we are supposed to put our faith and trust completely on Jesus Christ and His work, not our work. And it's like we do, we trust in His works, His work on the cross to get us saved, but it's like we trust in our works after that to keep us saved. And that, that's so wrong. How could we be so, you know, deluded to think that? That's why I've been preaching through these Ten Commandments, folks. I'm trying to show people that you are not keeping the commandments. You can't even keep the Ten Commandments. You can't do it. You're not going to do it. And for you to say, you, there's got to be some works in salvation. You have missed the whole point. You have completely missed the boat. We cannot keep the law. And that's why we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so for, uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Okay, what was going on here? Okay, the Pharisees, Paul mentioned in one of his epistles that they were not sinners. Remember that? By na- by, they were not sinners by nature as the Gentiles. Okay, what was he saying there? Well, he wasn't saying they weren't sinners. But what he was saying is the laws of the Old Testament, they came more natural to Jews than Gentiles. It was a part of their customs. They were used to it. They grew up with it. And for the Gentiles, man, this was new territory for them. Okay? I mean, have you ever seen people, they first get saved and they start, you know, sometimes they get kind of overwhelmed. What, you, you people go to church three times a week? Oh, do, I, do I have to do that? Oh, you know, if I got to do that, I'm going to give my salvation back. I mean, you know, I can't do that. You know, I mean, you know, they're messed up doctrinally. They don't, under, they don't understand yet. But I mean, you know, somebody like myself that grew up in a Baptist preacher's home, okay? 
I'm Baptist stuff is second nature to me. Okay, when I am sick and you know so sick I can't even go to church. I mean, I feel like the biggest heathen in all the world. Okay, I was at my sister's church one time. And they did the morning service and they had a meal and then they had the afternoon service. And they were done for the day. And it was 6 o'clock and we were eating in a restaurant. And I'm sitting there eating out at 6 o'clock on Sunday night and I felt like the biggest heathen in the world. Okay? That completely went against my nature. Alright? And, but at the same time, you go get some guy saved off the street and he'll be just as saved as I am but let me tell you, it's not going to bother him one bit sitting at home watching a ball game on Sunday. The Holy Spirit might convict him a little bit, but, but it's, it's not going to come natural to him. And here's the thing. I could get up and I could say, well, let me tell you all, I don't believe in a salvation that will get you into heaven that won't even get you in the church pew. Let me tell you about myself, folks. And then I go on and I talk, I've been going to church ever since before I was born. You know, I've barely ever missed a church service in my life. I don't owe God a single dollar from my tithe. You know, I, you know, I, I never, you know, I dress this way. I do this, you know. I'm glad I'm not like that publican. I mean, we, you know, we get up and we can say all those things. But do you realize what we are doing is we are measuring ourselves among ourselves. And you know what? If you've been in a Baptist church for a long time, especially your whole life, yes, this stuff's going to be way easier for you than for some person out there who's never been in church in their life and just get saved. But here's the thing. You're still not keeping the law. God knows your heart. God sees your pride. God saw everyone. You know, okay, I've never missed a church service my whole life. Well, how many of those church services did you go to just for show? Well, guess what? None of those things counted. You sinned when you did that. You were just putting on a show. I mean, we can't do anything without sinning. And people who try to add works to salvation, they are completely ignorant of sin. They are completely ignorant of the law of God. I mean, how little Bible do you have to know to think you're good enough to go to heaven? I mean, listen, it's one thing from these people when we're out knocking on doors. What do you have to think you think you have to do to go to heaven? Well, never kill anybody. Don't steal. You know, they'll name off the big ones. But why do they name those things? Because that's all they know. They know three or four of the big Ten Commandments. That's about it. Well, we should know a lot more than that. And yet... We know so much more about the law than them, and yet we think, still think we're good enough to go to heaven. How messed up do you have to be to think that way? But yet, there are people out there and they're doing that. They're trying to add works to salvation. Nope, you're not getting into heaven being like you. You've got to do this and this and this. Well, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why did he have, why did he, his blood have to be shed, pay for our sins? It just, it makes no sense at all. But look at what it says in verse 12. It says, And all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and to Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Did you all see that right there? 
James here, he's, he's quoting Old Testament. He's quoting Old Testament scripture from Amos. Amos chapter 9, verse 11 says, In that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Heathen and Gentiles, they go hand in hand. When it said heathen in the Old Testament, when it's quoting that in the New Testament, it says Gentiles. And we see here in this passage that it was always God's plan to go to the Gentiles. The Jews didn't see it coming. Even after Christ's ascension, even after Pentecost, the Jews still didn't see it coming. The disciples didn't see it coming. It wasn't until Peter, okay, who was pretty stubborn, he had to have that vision and God showed him th- that vision three times. And then finally, he went and reluctantly did what God told him to do. He went to Cornelius' house and sure enough, the guy got saved. He got filled with the Holy Ghost and he's like, sure enough, what God told me has come to pass. Sure enough, salvation, the Holy Spirit has gone to the Gentiles too. And some time has now passed where they've been preaching this, they've been teaching this. And James, he'd been reading in the Old Testament. He's like, you know, not only did God just now reveal this to us and we've seen it firsthand, but it was prophesied all over in the Old Testament. This was God's plan from the beginning of time. Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. The gospel going to the Gentiles was not plan B. It was plan A. Okay? What happened was plan A. God always knew how it was going to play out. God declares the end from the beginning. It, I mean, it was all planned out. And you can, you can see it all over in the Old Testament. It just wasn't revealed under the New Testament. I don't know, I, I don't know if people are cutting these out of their Bible. You know, a lot of these people, they're supposedly King James people. I, I think they're cutting out all the verses the NIV cut out of their King James Bible and counting that as King James. I don't know what, I don't know what's going on. I just, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. These people are supposed to be scholars and PhDs and all this stuff, how they're missing these things. Unless maybe they got an agenda. And that could be the, that's probably what it really is. But listen, I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that right there. God going to the Gentiles was always His plan. It was plan A. He knew from the beginning of time. I mean, I'm telling you right now, it's, a, it's, it's everywhere in the Scripture. But then look at verse 15. It says, And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this I will return. Oh, I already read all that. Verse 19, Wherefore my sentence is, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Okay? Right here. So we're not going to... Now this is, this is great here. Because another way people are adding works to salvation is they're telling you you have to turn from your sin to get saved. Okay? They, they're, they're teaching that repentance is turning from your sin. Even though you don't see that in the Bible. But look at this right here. Okay? It, once again, it doesn't get any clearer than this right here. Look, read it there again, verse 19. It says, Wherefore my sins is this, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Notice the Gentiles, it says they had turned to God. But they had not turned to the works of the law, had they? Because isn't that what they were fighting about? Isn't that what this whole dispute's about? That they need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. They're saying, no, these people need to turn from their sins. They're sinners. They need to start doing these things. They've got, or they've got to quit doing these other things. 
to be saved. But right here it says, let's not trouble them. Okay, why is it trouble to add works to salvation? Because we can't do it. Okay, you, it, it can't be done. We're we're always going to be sinful, no matter how good we are. Our righteousness is a filthy rag. Okay, and so right here it said that they had already turned to God, but they clearly hadn't turned from their sin. At least all of them. I'm sure they were doing better, but obviously there was still a lot of laws they weren't keeping because they're looking at them like man. These Gentiles still reek a Gentile. We got to we got to fix this. We got to make them more like us. And listen, no, we want to make people more like us. When people get saved, we want them to turn their life around, but not so they can go to heaven, so they can have a better life, so they can be a, a good testimony, so they could be, so they could start producing some good fruit. We want all those things, but those things don't save anybody. And, and when we try to make that a part of salvation, we are going into some heresy that's going to lead us into a lot of false doctrine. But clearly, these people had repented. They had turned to God, but they hadn't turned like the Pharisees wanted them to. They hadn't started keeping up with the laws. And it's like, you know, when it comes to turning from your sins, you know, whose standard are we going to go by? Are we going to go by your standard? My standard? Or God's standard? Well, God's standard. Well, good luck with that one. Have you not read God's standard? It's all over in the Old Testament. You can't do it. Alright? You can't do it. And that's why we call on the Lord for salvation. We need to be saved. Okay? He's the, we, we say we believe He's the only Savior. Okay? But yet we think we can save ourselves by turning from our sins. Well, if you can do that, you don't need a Savior. But here's the thing. I can't do that and I need a Savior. That's why I call on the Lord for salvation. And so, uh, look at verse 20. It says, but, when we, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time in every city, them that preach him being read in the synagogue every Sabbath day. Okay? So he's like, we're not going to trouble them telling them they have to turn, you know, they have to do all these works or keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Okay? But then they tell them, but listen, command them, go tell them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. Well, there we go. There's something that you have to do, right? Were they telling them you had to do these things to be saved? No, because if you read the next verse, it says, you know, most of all time in every city, them that preach being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. What he's trying, what they're trying to do right here, was uh, they were trying to tell them, don't do these things because these things will be offensive to the Jews. And they were trying to win them. Okay, and I'll, and I'll prove it to you. Go ahead and turn at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 10. See, Paul dealt with a lot of these things in a lot of his writings, but it says in 1 Corinthians 8, 10, For if any man see that which has knowledge sit at me in an idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. We didn't read that whole chapter, but it's clear. You know, Paul had said, you know, all things are lawful for me, 
but all things are not expedient. There are some things that were just not profitable for him to do. And so when they went and they told them to, hey, don't do these things, they weren't making it a part of salvation there, but they're saying, listen, we want to be effective soul winners. We want to, we want to have a good testimony. There is no reason for us to be doing these things. And so do not do these because they want, they wanted to win the Jews. And Paul right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, you know, he's telling people, hey, listen, don't do these things. We know that an idol is nothing. We can eat, you, you and I, we can eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and we are not going to be defiling ourselves, but we could hurt the conscience of a weaker brother. Yeah, but does that have anything to do with our salvation? Doing those things or staying away from those things? Absolutely not. And what about fornication? Okay? Because clearly fornication is unacceptable. Clearly fornication is wrong. Clearly fornication is something that we see in the epistles should get you thrown out of the church. But does it make you lose your salvation? Or can you, you know, a person who's done that not get saved? Obviously not. But is it not a very offensive thing when that happens? Yeah, it's very offensive. It's a horrible testimony. I mean, it, you know, it's, it has no place amongst God's people, but just like you eating blood or something strangled, it's not gonna mean you're not saved. That doesn't mean you're not saved either. And, but it is, it's a terrible testimony and it should not be going on in the church, but it has nothing, that has nothing to do with salvation. So this teaching of adding worse to salvation, we see it was destructive to the souls of the people. Look what it says in verse 22. Then pleased that the apostles and elders in the whole church to send chosen men out of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders, brethren, send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles and Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as ye have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your souls. That term subverting, it means to overthrow or to destroy. Okay? This teaching of adding works to salvation, it will destroy a person's soul. Subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same thing by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that ye abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication from them which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall be saved or ye shall do well. Fare ye well. Just don't do these things. You'll be doing good. And he kind of leaves them with a fare ye well with the blessing and but we see though it was destruct that what they were teaching was destructive to the souls go over to galatians chapter 5 galatians chapter 5 and look what it says there stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage behold i paul say unto you that if ye be circumcised christ shall profit you nothing for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is debtor to do the whole law. Y'all remember when I preached that message a while back about the Passover? That if you're going to keep the Passover, if you're a Christian and you decide, I want to keep the Passover, if you keep the Passover, you're obligated to keep all of the feasts. 
and we can't do it. You're not allowed to pick and choose what you want from it. You got to keep all of it. And if you decide, well, you know what? I think circumcision should be a part of salvation. Fine. But if you do that, you got to do the whole thing. The whole law. And good luck with that. But it says, verse 4, if you're going to do that, if you're going to add works to your salvation, it says, Christ has become of no effect unto you whosoever are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So right, right there we see Paul's teaching the same thing. If you're going to keep the law, you're obligated to do the whole thing. And if you do, if you're trying to use, add works to salvation, the Bible says you have fallen from grace. doesn't mean you lost your salvation. It means you didn't get there. You never, you never got saved. You never made it. You came short. Okay? Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, how can we make it? How can we get there? Well, you can either be perfect or you can submit yourself to the righteousness of God. You can call on the Lord for salvation. You can trust in His work, in His righteousness. And any time you add any work to make it a part of salvation, you've fallen from grace. If you get baptized thinking that's how I'm going to get saved, you didn't get saved. You missed it. You fell short. If you think just being a church member, being good, you didn't make it. You fell short. And listen, any I don't care who they are. Anybody who tries adding works to salvation, I'm going to think that person's not saved. And it doesn't mean I don't believe in eternal security. It doesn't mean I think I plucked them out of the Father's hand. It just means I believe the Bible and that they've fallen from grace. They came short. They didn't make it. They added works to salvation. And I believe their soul was subverted. It was destroyed. It was overthrown because of heresy, because of false doctrine. And so it's comforting. It is comforting to know that our salvation is not determined by our works. Look what it says in verse 30. It says, So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle... And when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets, sold themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. Man, I mean, just just picture it. You know, imagine you're that church. Okay, this is early on, and some goofballs come along in the church and like, you know what, all you Gentile men, you've not been circumcised, you're not saved. Uh oh. Well, they want to go to heaven, but they don't want to have to do that. And they don't want to have to start keeping the law of Moses. We can't keep that law of Moses. I mean, they're scared. And so sure enough, when they came and these guys came and showed, showed them, hey, look, y'all are fine. You know, it's not about keeping the law. Man, they were, they were comforted. They were thrilled. They rejoiced. They were, they realized that, hey, this isn't about us. We get to just put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We get to trust in His work. And that, that's comforting to know, folks. Listen, you all know I preach against sin all the time, and I'm always going to preach against sin. I'm always going to you know, preach on what's right and what's wrong, and I'm going to encourage you to do those things. But the minute I start making it a requirement for salvation, I have not now gone into heresy. I, I am now a heretic, and I need to be confronted. I need to, I need to be dealt with. Adding works is a part of salvation. It is one of the oldest and most common false teachings 
that there is. It's in pretty much every religion. It's even in Baptist churches. It's, it's all over. And it's not going to be going away anytime soon. The majority of religions will always teach a works-based salvation. You know why? Because the Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Therefore, it will always be that way. But listen, the Lord is looking for a people of faith. People who will trust Him. Who will say, you know what? They just realize, I can't do this. I'm, I'm putting my faith and trust in Him. I'm trusting in His work. I'm going to bet my eternal soul on the Word of God. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thou confess thy mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God has raised from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. And you know what? We ought to be happy about that. You know, this message I preach right now in a lot of churches would make people mad. I want to do the works of the law. You're a moron. You can't do it. You need to start reading your... The more if people would just read their Bible. They would go, man, I can't do that. You, you think you can do that. You know, it's some little kids. It's funny. You know, little kids, they think they can do anything. I had a little kid in my Sunday school class, and he was little. If you asked him to do anything, he'd say he could do it. And he was talking about Star Wars one day, and I asked him if he had the Force. He's like, yeah, I got the Force. And I was like, well, pick up that pen off the floor. And he's like, you know, and he started doing the Force thing, and I was like, it's not working. He's like, you know, he's, he thought he could do it. You know, he failed. You know, it's one thing a little kid, all right? But when adults, you thinking, yeah, I can keep the law. I can be good enough to go to heaven. You know how stupid you look? You're like a little kid just trying to use the force to pick something up. You can't do it. And you need, you need to start reading your Bible and what it should do, what it's supposed to do is cause you to say, Lord, save me. You're my only hope. And so the oldest, I, I believe the oldest heresy, adding works to salvation. If you add works to salvation, you are a heretic and you need to be confronted and you need to get right. And so, with that, let's all stand together.